All right, good morning, man. How are we doing? Uh, my name is Jermaine Harrison, if we have not met. And I get to serve here on staff on the, the Shoreline team, our ministry to students in grades 9 through 12. And it is an honor to get to share with you and learn along with you um, as we study through um, the, the church in Pergamum and what God had to say to them in Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. But before we get there to set up where we're going, I want to start by talking about um, working out. I want to start by talking about exercise. In a room this size, with as many men uh, that are in this room, odds are that many of you have a gym membership. Maybe many of you have a gym close to your home or in your apartment, or you have a gym membership in your mind that you don't actually do in real life, whatever it might be. Um, all of us, or most of us, have some understanding of the importance of, of working out, of stewarding our bodies um, for God's glory, right? And uh, what happens is sometimes people love working out just a specific area of their body. Maybe someone really likes uh, lifting weights, or someone really likes uh, running, or someone really likes some specific type of, of workout or exercise. And, and when you stick to just one uh, kind of exercise continually over time, over months, over years, unfortunately, you end up like this guy. Where, where this, guy, <laughs> this guy has skipped leg day a time or two, right? His upper body is big and muscular and strong, uh, but his legs, as you can see, are weak or feeble or small. And being very strong in one area while being extremely weak in another um, can leave you vulnerable, like this guy, if he needed to use his legs, he needed to use um, that kind of strength, he's already at a disadvantage because he was spending so much of his time working out one area uh, uh, aspect of his body while um, not paying attention to another. And the reason I start with that illustration or that analogy is because the same is true for you and me when it comes to our, our spirituality, when it comes to our relationship with God. And the truth is that being spiritually, not just physically, but being spiritually strong in one area of your life while being extremely weak in another area can leave you vulnerable, can leave me vulnerable. And that's the place where we find um, the church in Pergamon. They were very strong spiritually in one aspect of their relationship with God and, and weak in another aspect. And maybe for you that might look like you are marked by integrity in your business dealings, um, but at the same time, you're the one that, that's telling the crude jokes or the inappropriate humor. Or maybe you might be the one that's really disciplined to spend daily time in God's word, um, but at the same time, very easily annoyed and frustrated at people and circumstances. That would be me. And maybe there's some people uh, that struggle with that same thing in this room. And so the point is, is that it is so easy to be spiritually strong in one area of our lives while neglecting or ignoring 
uh, God's call for obedience and full devotion to Jesus in another area of our, our lives. And so this morning, as we look at the church in Pergamum, what we're going to learn or understand or be taught is how to cultivate well-balanced spiritual strength. That you're not just exercising one area of your walk with God, as you should, but that you're paying close attention to different areas of your life. And so we're going to look at how to cultivate a well-balanced spiritual strength. And so the way we're going to do that, um, as we look at Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17, as we look at the church in Pergamum, is we're going to look at the commendation that comes to them by Jesus... We're going to look at the case made against uh, the church in Pergamum. And finally, we'll look at the challenge given to the church in Pergamum. And as we walk through um, the, the commendation, the case, and the challenge, we're going to see some applications for us in 2020. All right, so turn your Bibles um, with me um, to Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Revelation chapter 2, reading from verse 12 and on down to verse 17. In fact, let me just read the whole thing um, really quickly and then we'll dive in piece by piece. Revelation 2, verses 12 to 17. Verse 12 says this, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Verse 14. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Um, Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Father, we pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us, and that you would instruct us to a life that honors you and that every single one of you would would gain a clearer picture of you and your love for us and your call for us in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we'll look at, first of all, the commendation to the church in Pergamum, and we'll notice that in verses 12 and 13. And remember, we're looking at how we can cultivate balanced spiritual strength. So here's the commendation in verses 12 and 13. Jesus is speaking to this church just like he does to all the other churches that we have studied and will study. It says to the angel or the leader or the leadership of the church in Pergamon, write this. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Who is he that has the sharp double-edged sword? It's Jesus, of course. Jesus has the authority and he has the readiness to bring judgment. And that's what it means by having or holding the sharp double-edged sword. He goes on to say, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. 
And so a little bit of context or historical context of Pergamum. It was a bustling city um, in the ancient Near East, one that people traveled to, uh, well, uh, well resourced. There was a, a huge library there. It was a place that you wanted to be. But it was also a place that was marked by um, idol worship. So much so that the writer um, says that this is where Satan's tr- throne is. And so in some senses, Pergamum was a center for the worship of pagan gods or idols. And so the, the kind of first thing I want to point out to you from here is that Satan's goal, if you're a follower of Jesus, his goal is to destroy worship of the one true God by giving you many options. And while back in the day the idols were these um, man-made images, today there are different idols that the, the enemy wants to entice you and me to, 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 to run towards, right? And so Satan's goal is to destroy worship of the one true God by giving you uh, fake gods, you know, of materialism or success or um, approval of others. And you can go on and on down the list. And so he tries to deceive us. And if he can't deceive us with these false gods, he tries to destroy us, right? So when it says where Satan has his throne, the enemy uh, of God's people, he is calling them or deceiving them to believe in these false gods. And at the same time, if they're not allowing themselves to be deceived, he is attacking God's church. He is killing those who are uh, entrusting themselves to follow God. And so Satan's goal is to destroy worship of the one true God through deception or destruction. But there's great news from the church in Pergamum. It says this, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. In other words, the the church in Pergamum was exposed to a hostile environment where the prevailing winds of culture, where the leadership was calling them to either worship false gods or die. To experience persecution and hardship because of their faith in Jesus. Does that sound a little familiar to us today? But the amazing news is that they held fast and they endured hardship as faithful servants of the Lord. And Jesus notices it and he commends them for it. So what can we learn from the fact that God uh, himself is very aware of our commitment to him? The first thing I want to share with you is that your commitment to Christ is not going unnoticed. These, these men and women in Pergamum were standing up to the onslaught of persecution and death, the, the threat of death. And then Jesus points it out. He commends them for their strong faith. And this, the application for us is that as you uh, follow Jesus, obey his commands in 2020, It is not going unnoticed by the God of the universe. Hebrews 6.10 is up there. It says, for God is not unrighteous to, to forget your work and labor of love, which you continue to minister toward the saints. God sees your faithfulness. And that is so encouraging to know. 
Um, the next thing I want to, to share with you that we can learn or apply from this section is that faithfulness in the most challenging of times is commended by Christ. Like this man, Antipas, specifically was mentioned. And that he was killed because of his um, uh, devotion to Christ and his decision to stand with Jesus amongst the allure and appeal of the false gods no matter what. And Jesus noticed it and he will remember you as well and your faithfulness to stand firmly with God. And so the church at Pergamum, they are working out the spiritual um, strength of standing firm in the face of opposition. And so in some senses, these spiritual muscles were really, really strong, right? But there was a muscle that they were not exercising. They were skipping leg day, as we, as we kind of talked about. So let's look quickly at the church, the case against the church in Pergamum in verses 14 and 15. So they've been commended for their faith in the midst of uh, persecution. Here's what Jesus has to say to them and to us. Verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And so what is he talking about? What is this case that Jesus is building against the church in Pergamum? And what does it have to do um, with us in 2020? And so we'll just have to look at what the teaching of Balaam is, what the teachings of the, the Nicolaitans is, and kind of, you know, apply it from there. And so if you've, if you've never heard the story uh, or have no idea what he's talking about, the story is recorded in Numbers um, chapter 22 through 25, where uh, the nation of Israel is on a journey to the promised land, and the king of Moab sees this great army, and he's really afraid, and so he, he tries to employ... Um, um, Balaam uh, to, to, to curse the nation of Israel so that he can have power to defeat their army. And so he brings in this, this, this prophet, Balaam, and over and over uh, he tries to curse Israel, but he can't. And he blesses Israel, um, I think it's three Three times if you read through the story in Numbers 22 through 25. And at the end of the story, Balaam is going back home. And in chapter 25, we notice something crazy happens. Where the the men of Israel start um, prostituting themselves out to the the temple priestesses and prostitutes of Moab. And they engage in idol worship and and, um, inappropriate sexual immorality with this people that was was um, far from God. And so what had happened was Balaam gave them the idea that, hey, you should, if you want to make it safe, uh, if you want to make it safe through to the promised land, this is something that you should do to make sure that this enemy, the nation of Israel, um, doesn't take advantage of you. And so the teaching of Balaam is that compromising your convictions for the sake of avoiding conflict is a great option. So the teaching of of Balaam was to compromise your religion or your religious beliefs. 
And so this, this, uh, uh, this pagan nation, Moab, they compromised their convictions so that they would uh, have peace with the nation of Israel. And Israel, uh, Israel compromised their convictions of not having any false gods before them so that they could have an easy passageway into um, the promised land, right? And so the teaching of Balaam is, hey, compromise is fine. As long as it helps you to not have to experience conflict. Does that sound familiar in 2020? And so that's the teaching that was going on in the church uh, uh, of Pergamum or the belief that was going on in the church of Pergamum. They were standing strong against outside persecution. But from within, the false teaching and the false beliefs were, were being um, taught and explained. And then the teaching of the Nicolaitans, um, you have some resources on that in your booklets as well, that this group or this, this sect believed that because God is gracious, we can do whatever we want. He's merciful. If we, if we sin, if we, if we enjoy the pleasures of sin in this city, God is kind. God is, is merciful. God is gracious. He's going to overlook it. We're fine. Does that sound familiar in 2020? And so uh, the teaching of Balaam was to compromise for religious compromise. And the teaching of this group of people, the Nicolaitans, is to morally compromise, right? Enjoy the false gods. Enjoy the sex. Enjoy um, uh, whatever you want to because God is gracious is, was their false teaching. And so not only were there people in the church at Pergamum who held to the teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans, but there are people who knew those beliefs were present and they did and said nothing. Does that make sense? So not everyone was believing this or uh, engaging in this, but they knew it existed and they were saying nothing. And they too were just as guilty. And so here's a lesson and a reminder for us in, in 2020 that I think is helpful from this story. Is that you can courageously, on the one hand, you can courageously stand for truth and endure suffering, the challenges of this life, while at the same time be permitting ungodliness to take root in your life. Does that make sense? In one area, they were spiritually strong. And in another area, they were extremely weak. So what is that for you? How, how are you um, maybe commendable in God's eyes because of your devotion and commitment to him in one area, but in another, you're just skipping leg day? You see, this church was doing a great job of withstanding the outside forces while they were being destroyed little by little from the inside. And so Jesus has a challenge for them um, in verses 16 and 17. We'll, we'll pay most attention to verse 16. The challenge given to the church in Pergamum. Verse 16 of Revelation 2 says, Repent therefore, repent therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. 
And so Jesus is saying, hey, I'm commending you for your faith and faithfulness, but there is still room for growth. There is still room for you to to surrender more of your life to me, individually and corporately as a church. And I think the same is true of us, that there's still room for every one of us to excel still more in, in our devotion and faithfulness in following God. And as a group or in your community group or as a church at large, there is still room. And so Jesus says to the church in Pergamum, repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and fight against you with the sword of my mouth. And so in other words, what Jesus is is calling this church to do and encouraging us to do is that we must aggressively, we must aggressively root out the compromise and the false teaching from among us, or God himself will be opposed to us. Like, isn't that crazy that Jesus says, hey, repent, turn away from your sin, turn away from your self-reliance, and turn towards me. Turn away from uh, the sexual immorality that is, that is rampant in your culture or the, 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 the licentious way of living. Turn to me, or else I will come. And fight against you. And so we must aggressively root out the compromise and false teaching from among us. Or God himself will be opposed. How do we fight against compromise? How do we fight against false teaching? The the most important thing you can do. I don't know where you are in this room. But the first thing that you can do is entrust your life to God. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, the way for you to experience and grow in your spiritual strength is to understand that you can't do it on your own. And that without him, we can do nothing, John 15, 5. And that Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, in that he lived the perfect life. He died and he, he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the grave, victorious over sin and death and hell and everything else. And the same power that, that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you, is available to me to experience a reconciled relationship with God, and that same power is also available to help every one of us walk in daily devotion and dependence on God. And so that's the first thing that we need to understand, that we can't do it on our own, and that it comes with a full and complete surrender to God. And then we can apply... um, these principles personally and corporately and the personal application of the question I want you guys to wrestle with as I've wrestled with as I've been studying this text is this. Um, What compromise or false teaching am I letting slide in my own life? What compromise or false teaching am I just uh, saying, oh, it's okay, you know, God is gracious, He'll forgive me if I said this or if I did this or if I acted this way because he's gracious and kind. Yes, he is, but it doesn't give us a license to just live however we want, right? So what is that for you? Think about it. Ask the Lord to reveal it to you if nothing's coming to your mind because I think, I think all of us can have something to share of how we are um, letting compromise seep in to our own lives, Right? So the personal application question, what compromise, what false teaching? It doesn't have to be a big quote-unquote thing, 
Man, what is that for you? And then the corporate application is a very similar question. What compromise or false teaching am I letting slide in my community group, uh, in my circle of friends, um, in my Bible study, you know, fill in the blank where there are other devoted followers of Jesus and there's something that the group is like, hey, that's okay. Um, and just letting that sin slide because it's easier to not bring it up and, and cause conflict maybe, you think. Or the false teaching that you're, you're letting sit there. Man, it tells us that if we don't repent, if we don't root out that compromise, and if we don't root out that false teaching from our own lives or from the lives of the, the church around us, that God will fight against us. And I don't know about you, but I am not interested in that happening to me. And I, and I would imagine that you aren't either, right? And so it's not just the job of people on stages, you know, like me or whoever else has been teaching um, the last several weeks to inform others of truth. It's not just our job, it's yours. In your community group, um, in your circle of friends, when, some, when you are noticing and observing compromise or uh, false teaching being um, promoted, man, it's your job. We're all leaders, right, in our own context. It is your job to lead your family. It is your job to lead your community group in um, rooting out compromise and false teaching. And then verse 17, um, you kind of have some uh, context and explanation as to what the hidden manna even means and the new name and so on and so forth in your booklets. But I think the, the point that I want to make from there as we wrap up is that repentance leads to reward. Right? So Jesus is saying, hey, you guys are awesome in this area, but you're skipping leg day over here. And I'm challenging you to excel still more. And if you obey my command and my call to, to repent, man, there is blessing awaiting you, both in this life in some senses and guaranteed in the next. That our repentance from our own compromise, our little compromises in our, in our personal lives and corporate lives, uh, repentance from them leads to reward. And so if you, if you don't remember anything, think of that guy up there and don't forget don't skip leg day. God, thank you for these men. Thank you for the opportunity they have to um, spur one another on to love and good deeds. Um, thank you for the conversations that they're about to have um, discussing um, Revelation 2, 12 through 17. I pray that um, this morning would be uh, the turning point in someone's faith or a decision to let go of a compromise or a false belief that is causing, uh, uh, that's causing conflict or causing um, them to experience less than your best um, in their lives. Lord, I pray that we would glorify you and honor you with everything that we are. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.